Hi again, everyone. This is Mark Mofsesian. I'm the director of the Matone Center for Law and Religion at St. John's. Uh, and this is another episode of Legal Spirits, which is our podcast series on cases and issues in law and religion. I'm joined once again by my friend and the co-host of the podcast series, Mark DiGirolami. And we have some news at the top of the podcast before we get into our, our subject for today, some housekeeping, as they say. A couple of announcements. Uh, first is a happy one for us, and the other is, well, not so happy, but uh, you'll see why. The happy announcement is that since the last podcast, we have a new name at the Center for Law and Religion. We are now the Denise and Michael Matone Center for Law and Religion. And this new name is in recognition of an extraordinarily generous gift, a multi-million dollar gift for our endowment from Denise and Michael Matone, who are both St. John's Law graduates. Uh, and this endowment is gonna enable us to really expand our programs here at the center, programs for students, for academics, and for the general public. Uh, I'm, I'm just so delighted and so proud that the center now bears their name. Uh, and Legal Spirits is one of those programs which will continue. So now the Legal Spirits podcast will bear their name as well. So thanks so much to Denise and Michael. We're really gonna try to do you proud. That's the good news. Um, the somewhat sadder news for me personally and for the center is that although Mark is joining us again, he is no longer joining us as co-director for the center. Mark has moved on to a new position and Mark, why don't you describe what that's all about? Sure, Mark. Well, thank you very much. And may I also say I'm also grateful, even though even though I'm no longer the co-director of the Center for Law and Religion, I'm also very grateful to Denise and Michael Matone uh, for their gift and for the, the trust that they have placed in the center. Um, I, I know, Mark, that you're going to uh, make them very proud, and I hope to be able to participate in the coming months and years uh, in in the programming of the center, so that so that I can show my my gratitude as well. But yes, it's true. I, I've I've moved to the Catholic University of America, the Columbus School of Law, where I've I've taken on a, a position of uh, the the inaugural St. John Henry Newman Professor of Law and directing uh, a co-directing a center there, the Center for Law and the Human Person, um, with a, with a wonderful colleague uh, Elizabeth Kirk. Um, and, and I'm hopeful, very hopeful that uh, we were going to be able to have some, some excellent collaborations between our two centers as time goes on. Of course, uh, I'm, I'm uh, somewhat uh, misty-eyed and, and miss, miss uh, uh, St. John's, but especially the Center for Law and Religion. But I hope that we're going to be able to, as I say, to, to have these collaborations and certainly to, for me to continue to participate in Legal Spirits. That's going to be a, a great uh, and joyful thing for me. Well, thank you, Mark, and I want to echo what you say. It's been one of the great experiences of my professional career running the center with you for the last 12 years here at St. John's. Uh, you've taught me so much about what it is to be a scholar and the public intellectual, and I certainly hope and expect that our collaborations will continue, including with respect to legal spirits. So listeners, don't worry about that. We're still going to be doing the podcast, and you'll still get all the news about law and religion uh, right here. May, may, I just, may I just return the compliment, Mark? It, it, it really... You know how important you have been for my professional career. You've been a real mentor to me uh, from the from the get go, and and the center has been a major part, a major and wonderful, uh, a joyful part of my professional life. So I wouldn't dream of uh, uh, riding off into the sunset. Okay, great. Well, I'm going to hold you to that. So, um, okay, listeners, well, let's get into our our subject for today, and this is a little bit of a strange strange subject. Um, so right before Christmas, news spread about a proposed bill 
in the New York State Legislature. New York State, the rumors were, or the reports were, New York State was threatening to put Chick-fil-A out of business in the state because the fast food restaurant doesn't open on Sundays. Um, and that's a holdover from its original policy, Chick-fil-A's original policy, which was dictated because of the religious commitments of its owners who are Baptists or who the family that owns Chick-fil-A are, are Baptists, evangelicals, you might, you might think. Um, anyway, panic ensued. We're not going to have Chick-fil-A in New York State. Lindsey Graham, a senator from South Carolina, got involved in this. Now, all this turns out to be an exaggeration. The bill, which is currently in committee in the New York State legislature, applies only to Chick-fil-A's that are at rest stops on the New York State Thruway, which is a long road that starts uh, just outside New York City, goes all the way up through, um, through New York State, public highway, part of the interstate highway system, actually. Um, and it will only apply to future concessions. That is, the bill will only apply to future concessions, not to the seven Chick-fil-A's that already exist on the throughway today. So it was a bit of an exaggeration. Still, there is truth to the story. The bill would require any future contracts for rest stops to require vendors to open every day of the week. And actually, Mark, you and I were talking about this before we came on the air. Um, uh, it actually mentions Chick-fil-A by name and targets Chick-fil-A specifically by name. Yeah, I, this is a somewhat actually quite extraordinary feature of this bill, right? A purportedly neutral piece of legislation uh, that singles out one private company by name. Uh, we're going to have to talk a little bit about that. That's, that's um, you know, even, even if you compare it against some of the standbys uh, or the sort of standards of religious liberty litigation, that's, that's a step that's a considerable step to take. So that, that'll be something that we'll figure into our discussion. Well, not, not just mentions the, the company by name, but actually mentions Sunday closings by name also. Um, yeah, that's which, interesting which, too. Yeah, which, so, so we're getting into this. So, so in this episode, we're going to talk about this bill and reflect on two questions. First, whether the bill, if passed, would violate the free exercise of religion, either under the U.S. Constitution or the New York State Constitution, um, and Mark and I were talking before coming on the air, and we're a little confused about this. Maybe this is a violation. I'm not so sure. Mark is trying to convince me maybe it's, maybe it's worse than I think, but he has a point, and we'll talk about that. And then second, what, if anything, this whole controversy suggests about religious practice in the U.S. today as compared to even two, three decades ago? Okay, so let me give you some background on the controversy. The New York State Thruway, as I say, is a long and winding road. It starts in Westchester County, goes all the way up through New York State. It's part of the interstate highway system, but it is run by the New York State Thruway Authority, and it has 27 service stops where you can get food and fuel at regular intervals on the thruway. And all the service stops are open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. All the service areas on the thruway are operated by an Irish firm called Apple Green Sea Stores which offers an assortment of hot food items, as well as grab-and-go sandwiches and other food items, wraps, salads, coffee, snacks, and so on, drinks. Um, and the Apple Green Sea stores at all these rest stops are open to travelers 24-7. So I just want to yeah. freeze you right there, Mark. So those Apple Green Sea stores, right, I think you, so they, they never close, right? They're, they're always, always open with no, even within the particular day, there's somebody's always staffing them and, and travelers, always have access to them, right? They are, they are always open. So you always have uh, access to the grab and go sandwiches and wraps and salads and coffees, whatever at Apple Green Sea stores. That is right. 
In addition to these Apple Green C stores, which are at every rest stop, the rest stops have other fast food restaurants, and these vary from rest stop to rest stop. There's Burger King, Starbucks, Panera Bread, and, and so on. Seven of the rest stops on the thruway have a Chick-fil-A franchise as well. Okay, now I've got to say, Mark, I, I actually have never been to a Chick-fil-A. Have you ever been to a Chick-fil-A? I have. I have. I've been to, but only to one. There's a Chick-fil-A in uh, Washington Union Station. And when I used to travel down to D.C., I would stop in and get a Chick-fil-A. It's always packed, Mark. Yeah, so I, I have to confess, I have never been. I'm surprised at that, Mark. I think I think of you as more of an elitist than I am, but I've never been to a Chick-fil-A, and, and, you, and you have. Um, this is uh, a, really a gourmet fast food chicken. Uh, well, uh, it is, you know, it is apparently, according to surveys for the last seven, eight years, it is the most popular fast food restaurant in the United States. So I'm missing something. Mark, can I just, just a clarification, those seven uh, Chick-fil-A's, they're actually not subject to this bill, I take it, right? They because are not subject bill, to this bill. Right, this bill is, is for any future Chick-fil-A's. Uh, that are that are going to be populating the since it's so popular, right? That are going to be popping up in these in these locations, right? Correct. That is correct. Now, Chick Fil A is a private, family-owned company. Um, as I say, it's the most popular fast food restaurant in the United States for a few years now, and some of the company's policies remain influenced by the Baptist convictions of the family that runs the company and that founded the company. Um, and among those policies are Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays. Now, the bill, which calls out Chick-fil-A by name, as we said, would require future food concessions at thruway service stations to be open seven days a week. Um, and if that's the case, of course, Chick-fil-A will no longer be able to receive these contracts. Now, what's the justification here? Here's what the bill recites as the justification for this. After naming Chick-fil-A and its Sunday closing policy. Quote, while there is nothing objectionable about a fast food restaurant closing on a particular day of the week, service areas dedicated to travelers is an inappropriate location for such a restaurant. Publicly owned service areas should use their space to maximally benefit the public, allowing for retail space to go unused one seventh of the week or more is a disservice and unnecessarily an unnecessary inconvenience to travelers who rely on these service areas, close quote. Okay, now this seems like a plausible reason, I guess. I mean, if you think about it, these are, these are service stations on the highway and people ride on the highway seven days a week. And so, you know, there needs to be food for them seven days a week. But as we're gonna explore, when you actually push a little bit on this, it's not so clear how reasonable this is. And I have to say, I'm just, I'm sort of perplexed at the whole thing. I mean, you know, politicians respond to, Incentives have people been complaining about this? Uh, seems doubtful. Um, maybe this is a political thing. The sponsor of the bill represents the neighborhood of Chelsea in Manhattan. Uh, I I can't imagine there are a lot of people from Chelsea who ride the New York State Thruway very much. Now Chick Fil A has gotten in trouble for its politics in the past. Chick Fil A a few years ago there was a controversy because they were donating money to Salvation Army, and the allegation was this was, you know, an anti same sex marriage thing. Um, that controversy has died down since then because Chick-fil-A has kind of backed off from some of its stances. But one does have to wonder whether there isn't some political thing going on here. I mean, they named Chick-fil-A. Um, you know, this is not, a, doesn't seem like this is a major controversy. There are only seven of these things at the rest stops. Anyway, it's a little bit perplexing. So, Mark, let's get into the analysis here. Let's start off with uh, the analysis for purposes of the free exercise clause, the U.S. Constitution. Mark, you want to start? 
Yeah, so so uh, we know that under the Constitution, we've got the rule for underemployment division versus Smith, right? Uh, laws that are neutral and generally applicable are not violations of the free exercise clause, even if they incidentally burden religious exercise. And so I guess the first, so we've got two different components, neutrality and general applicability. In my own view, I think that this legislation is vulnerable, highly vulnerable on both prongs. It's vulnerable on the neutrality prong because as you've mentioned, it calls out Chick-fil-A by name, it calls out uh, Sunday closing by name. Um, you know, you don't, you don't have to have uh, uh, in the text of a bill, somebody saying, you know, we don't like traditional Christianity uh, and therefore we require opening on Sunday in order for there to be targeting. Um, you know, if, even the sort of the gold standard case the Lukumi case from the early 90s, um, you know, when the city of Hialeah enacted legislation concerning uh, uh, Santeria, it didn't call out Santeria by name. <laughs> uh, it didn't say, you know, this is the religion or this is the group that we're particularly interested in uh, sort of squelching their free exercise. And yet the Supreme Court found uh, that that uh, there was uh, targeting involved in that case. So that, that's that's on one on one side of it. You want to jump in, Mark? Yeah, I mean, I see your point. That is a good point, Mark. And I, I mean, I think you're persuading me that that's a problem. Now, the thing is that they're not saying that you can you can close on on certain days of the week for other reasons, the way they did say in the Babalu IA case that you know you could slaughter animals for other reasons. But I do take your point that you know they they mentioned Chick Fil A by name. They mentioned Sunday closing by name. Um, it, it doesn't look good, actually, in terms of, of the, the Hialeah test. I think that's right. OK, so so that's that's on that front. And then you, you were just even mentioning, Mark, you know, other other kinds of reasons that you could uh, uh, slaughter animals in the Hialeah case. Right. Uh, pest control and so on. Well, that that at least arguably might go also to this the second prong, the general applicability prong. And, you know, there under the new regime of Fulton, I think, uh, you know, the, the this bill is going to have a lot of problems also. You know, number one, um, it only applies to new uh, uh, to, to new rest stops, not not or to new restaurants that pop up on these rest stops, not to old ones. Why uh, exactly? Why is that so if 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 the object is to maximize consumer access, why not retroactively apply it to all existing stops? Um, number two, it seems to, I think we've talked about this, it seems to allow um, uh, other uh, restaurants to close on particular days for certain numbers of hours during those days. So if you're a Burger King, you could close, let's say, you know, five or six hours of the day on every single day thus limiting, it seems to me, the access of needy uh, travelers with respect to those hours. So what's the difference between that and a Chick-fil-A that, let's say, is open 24-7 on every day except for Sunday? Yeah, so I think this is a nice point too, Mark. I agree with that. I, I've actually written about this a little bit. If you look at the Fulton case, and Fulton is Fulton versus City of Philadelphia. This is the same-sex adoption case from a couple of terms ago. 
The court in that case indicated that if there is any exception at all to a policy, even a theoretical exception that you know doesn't ever get triggered, that is enough to justify strict scrutiny under Smith. And here there are a couple of exceptions. One of them we didn't mention, but I'll mention it right now, which is that the bill doesn't apply. That is the, the seven day a week requirement doesn't apply to quote, temporary concessions, such as farmers markets or local vendors. Okay, now you might say, well, those are different. Those aren't the same as permanent concessions, but I don't know, that's an exception. And if Fulton is to be taken at its, at its word, then that's an exception that's in the discretion of the throughway authority. And then it's no longer a generally applicable law. Also, you make the good point, which is these other concession stands, they don't have to open the same hours on every day. And I went and did some research. In a few of these concessions, the concessions are open for limited hours on weekends. So, um, you know, you might ask there whether this is a generally applicable thing. And this leads us to the next point, which is if it isn't generally applicable and if it isn't neutral, then under Smith, strict scrutiny would apply, which means the state would have to show it had a compelling interest in applying the rule, in this case, the seven day a week rule to Chick-fil-A. And then I think, Mark, the state's going to have some trouble, right? Well, yeah, I mean, I guess I would draw a distinction. This is also something that you've written about, Mark, and talked about, and that is what happens if you if if a court finds that targeting is involved, namely that the legislation is non-neutral, there's an initial question about whether you go to strict scrutiny balancing at all or whether you just or you just go straight, you know, go, go you know, uh, go straight to jail, do not pass go, do not collect $200, you're, that legislation is out. There is no right. balancing. And I think, Mark, you've written about this with respect to Masterpiece, Cake Shop, and 303 Creative, that there's this question, you know, once the justices that are in the majority in those cases, once they see non-neutrality, there is no balancing. Isn't that right? That is correct. So after Masterpiece Cake Shop, and this was confirmed by the court in the Coach Kennedy case, the expressions of hostility or disparagement by government against a religion. That's it right there. Do not pass go. Do not collect. What is it? $200? Do not, do not pass go, right? This is the end. There is no, no balancing after that. That is a per se violation of the free exercise clause. Now, my question would be, is this the kind of hostility or disparagement that they're talking about? And that's a judgment call too. Now, in Masterpiece Cake Shop, you had some very unfortunate comments by Colorado officials about the religious commitments of Jack Phillips, the baker. Here, it doesn't really rise to that level. There, in fact, they say it's perfectly fine to close on Sundays. So I don't know. But Mark, okay, you have you have persuaded me that this is actually more likely to be a violation than I initially thought of the free exercise clause, the U.S. First U.S. Constitution First Amendment. Okay, now there's also a New York State constitutional provision here. The New York State Constitution also has a free exercise provision, which says um, the free exercise and enjoyment of religious profession and worship without discrimination or preference shall forever be allowed in this state to all humankind. That's what the New York State Constitution says. And of course, that's an independent, uh, an independent requirement, uh, independent of the U.S. Uh, Constitution's First Amendment. However, the New York State Court of Appeals, which is the highest court in the state of New York, has announced a different test under the New York State Constitution than the Smith test, which applies under the U.S. Constitution. And New York State has a straightforward balancing test in this area. And here's what the court has said, New York Court of Appeals. Where the state imposes an incidental burden on the right to free exercise of religion, 
we must consider the interest advanced by the legislation that imposes the burden and that and the respective interests must be balanced to determine whether the incidental burdening is justified with substantial deference to the legislature. This is a straightforward balancing test with substantial deference to the legislature. This is, I guess, Mark, a kind of intermediate scrutiny, don't you think? Yeah, that sounds about right to me. And it's, it's interesting, the, the uh, language of the New York State Constitution, as, as many uh, state constitutional texts, they have quite expansive, right? The language is quite expansive with respect to the exercise of religion. And yet you have this um, state constitutional interpretation of that language as, as it's, it seems, you know, something perhaps more ample, at least um, seemingly more ample than what Employment Division versus Smith gives. Uh, although, of course, the way that Smith has been interpreted later has actually been, you know, quite, quite generous in various ways. Uh, and yet still not the kind of RIFRA balancing um, uh, that, 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 you know, wh where you have sort of the, at least ostensibly, the most ample kind of approach for religious claimants. Would you agree, Mark? I do. And, you know, our listeners should understand that, that New York is free to go beyond the protections of the First Amendment. New York could grant greater protection to free exercise of religion than the U.S. Constitution does. Uh, and in this situation, arguably it does. The New York, New York State, uh, the New York State Court of Appeals has indicated that, in theory, the protection offered by New York State could be greater than the protection offered by the federal constitution. Couldn't be less, but could be greater than the protection offered by the federal constitution. So here there would be a balancing test. Um, we'd have to ask whether this was an unreasonable burden on religious liberty given the state's interest. And again, the New York court says you give substantial deference to the state interest. Again, I don't know how this would come out. I mean, it, it sort of would mirror everything. You know, Mark, you and I have talked about this. I've written about this. The, I, I don't know what these compelling interests, reasonable uh, burden, all these things, they're all judgments. And, you know, the, the courts are going to have to come to judgments about this. I don't really know how the New York Court of Appeals would come out in a case like this. I don't know enough about their jurisprudence here. I don't think it's very highly developed. But, you know, how do you balance this? I mean, what do you think, Mark? Well, no, I, I, I agree with you. And I, I like you. I don't think I'm not familiar enough with subsequent New York state constitutional jurisprudence with respect to its free exercise provision. Um, having said that, though, um, if if New York cannot fall below the federal constitutional protections and the federal constitutional protections are the way that we've said that they are uh, in light of or through read through the lens of Fulton, then it seems to me that um, you know, even if you apply, look, I think this law is is actually if, if it if it really does pass, it's actually subject to some scrutiny under rational basis scrutiny. I, I, I don't see how the interest being advanced here is rationally related um, to uh, uh, requiring Chick-fil-A to be open on Sundays if it's allowing all of these other rest stops to be open during the week. Um, you know, it, it might be allowing them to be open more, uh, more, sorry, to be closed more during the week than what it is permitting for Chick-fil-A. So if, if that's the case, and we would have to do a kind of an accounting of hours or something like that, but if, if you're limiting access um, more with respect to the uh, businesses whom you are allowing to close on the days that you're allowing them to close, I don't I'm, I'm having a hard time seeing the rational relationship between the objectives being advanced and the actual policy and the means being used. 
Yeah, well, Mark, you teach con law. I don't teach con law. My, my recollection was rational basis test means the government wins. So, I mean, you could always come up with some reason for this. I mean, it's seven days a week, whatever. But, I mean, look, I, I don't know how the court would come after you either, but you have, you have persuaded me that this is more likely to be a violation than I would have thought just looking at it. Um, uh, having spoken with you, have, have, having had this discussion, I think, you know, you've got a, a good point there. Okay, now let's move beyond just the law here to to another, I think, very interesting aspect of the case. And that's the kind of, what does this suggest about the place of religious observance in, in our culture? You know, Mark, you and I both teach law and religion. And typically when it comes to Sunday closings, um, the claim is that the state cannot require businesses to close on Sundays because that would arguably violate the Establishment Clause and or the Free Exercise Clause. We've discussed this issue uh, on legal spirits in legal spirits podcasts before. Now, the conventional view, following a couple of important Supreme Court cases, U.S. Supreme Court cases, is that Sunday closing laws don't violate the First Amendment since they serve a legitimate secular purpose. That is, they provide for a uniform day of rest. Not everyone's convinced by that reasoning, but that is the reasoning that is often um, given here. Um, but, you know, Sunday shopping has become so widespread in America that this all seems sort of quaint, doesn't it? I mean, the idea that that that's that the state would require you to close your business on Sunday. Hardly any states require you to close your business. Sunday is just another shopping day in much of America. Um, this bill suggests, I think, that the battleground has now shifted. Now the anomaly is not the store that wants to open on Sundays and, you know, state says no. Now the anomaly is the store that wants to close on Sundays. And the state says, no, you've got to be open on Sunday. Now I understand this is a this is the throughway, and it's a different context. There are travelers, and travelers want their Chick Fil A, and you're traveling with kids. Kids are hungry, whatever you got. It. But but still, I mean, to my mind, this is actually very interesting as a cultural matter that this is what the fight is now about. Well, you know, I think it's probably right, Mark, and you've you've put it in a very nice way, right? How the battleground has has shifted. Um, to me, what's striking is the, um, I mean, is the what seems to be the overt hostility, the overt hostility to religion on display in a bill like this, uh, which is why I, I, I greatly suspect the bill is not going anywhere, uh, because I think uh, cooler legal heads are going to prevail. But just the fact that a bill like this has legs in a state like New York might also suggest that in a different kind of state, perhaps a, a red state, uh, another kind of bill, a similar analogous kind of bill, uh, and yet equally hostile toward religion might pop up. Um, so the, the kind of, to me, the striking thing is the sort of polarization that a bill like this uh, 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 suggests where legislatures sort of feel entitled to go after and go after hard uh, traditional religious observance. Um, is a sort of one more, we talked about this before in our pod, podcast, one more suggestion of just where the people are in this country uh, and, and, the, and the divisions that we see. Yeah, although I don't, are there, are there a lot of states in the United States where they actually are widespread Sunday closing laws? I mean, my impression is when I travel across the United States, businesses open on Sunday in most places. I, I don't see a lot of that. Maybe there are, we could, that'd be interesting to find out more about that. Um, but I think you're right. It could happen. And I do think, um, as I say, I, I think it, it's now the anomaly is the, the store that says we don't want to work on Sundays. That, that's, that's weird. That's considered sort of retrograde. And 
Now, like you, by the way, I, I don't see this bill going anywhere. I'm not a political expert, but my prediction is that this, this, this is just kind of a stunt. And as I say, it, it could well be a political statement, you know, that, that you know, we don't like Chick-fil-A. Uh, I don't think there's a real problem that's being addressed here. I don't think a lot of people in New York are that concerned about whether the Chick-fil-A at the rest stop is open on Sunday or not. Uh, if Chick-fil-A is really as great as you say, and it's the most popular fast food restaurant, I assume most people will be content if it's open six days a week at the rest stop, even if it's not open every day. They'd rather have their Chick-fil-A sandwich six days a week than no days a week. That's what I'm guessing. Um, but we'll have to see. We'll have to see how this all works out. Anyway, so this has been, I think, a really interesting uh, podcast to start off the new year. I'm so glad to be back with you, Mark, and with the listeners. Um, and that's it for this episode. Um, you can find this and other episodes archived on our website, which is lawandreligionforum.org, also on Apple iTunes and Spotify and Android and other streaming platforms. So we'll be back again with another episode. But for now, that's it for me and Mark. See you next time.